Hello, everybody. This is Ron Bush with Ron Bush Consulting, and you're attending the Information Playground. Uh, I hope that you're listening to us on WVLP. That's WVLP-FM. If you're in Valparaiso, Indiana, it's 103.1 on your FM dial. Uh, if uh, you're streaming us, it's WVLP.org. They're a great little community station and they do a lot in the community. I hope you visit their website, learn how to get involved. You can underwrite this program or any of the fine programming on WVLP. Uh, you can also find us, oh, before I leave there, you can find us there Monday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. and Friday afternoons from 1 to 2 p.m. Uh, you can also find us on demand on any of the podcast platforms that I'm familiar with, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcast and six or seven others, uh, all under the information playground. And you can also find us on YouTube on the video side of things, um, also under the information playground. Ron Bush Consulting is a uh, is a, a consultancy that helps businesses protect themselves against cyber crime. Um, I hope you, you'll check us out at ronbushconsulting.com. My guest this morning is a very special guest, Dr. Raul Gupta. Uh, Dr. Gupa, good morning to you. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, he good is morning, the, Ron. Thank good. you. Would you tell the, the listeners or the folks a little bit about yourself this morning and what, what you do? Certainly. Uh, I am a, currently the Chief Medical Health Officer and Senior Vice President at March Dimes nationally. Um, I'm a practicing internist um, with a with a background in public health. Uh, I've prior to joining the March of Dimes, I've served for two governors of the state health commissioner in West Virginia. And prior to that, I have uh, been a local health commissioner as well as ran a private practice and, and, and taught medicine as well. Wow, wow, what a, what a great uh, legacy you have uh, and all that you've accomplished. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the March of Dimes. You know, I'm a Rotarian and Rotary has a, uh, a history with polio. We've been fighting it for the last 20, 21 years now. Um, March of Dimes got started that way. Absolutely, Ron. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really rich legacy history. In fact, oh, if, if people might remember that it was founded by a sitting president, Yes. And, you know, we're 80 plus odd years old. We became most famous for helping fund the vaccine for polio and then create and design clinical trials for polio, um, which, uh, you know, from Dr. Saul to getting on board, um, you know, one of the largest clinical trials to date and doing it in a way that garnered the confidence of Americans mm -hmm. and really put us in the front seat of helping eliminate polio from this nation, as well as making a remarkable with Rotarians impact across the globe. So, you know, since then, uh, we've been really proud to have the history where we actually have had such a, such a positive impact on a killer disease. And then we've had, of course, you know, these partners in nation states, um, and then others like the Rotarians to help eliminate this terrible disease, um, you know, from the face of this earth. We have since then also focused on, you know, things like, uh, you know, uh, birth defects, um, 
what happens when, um, you know, whether it's folic acid or other aspects of a preterm birth. So we're really used to taking on the toughest issues you can have mm -hmm. and then figuring out a solution for it. So now um, we are focused, laser focused on ending the uh, preventable maternal health crises as well as the infant health crises with a lens through equity. So that's right. kind of what we're in right now. So if you would explain a couple of those terms, uh, the, uh, I guess, narrow the focus or name, name it what it is where your focus is right now. Um, let's start there. Uh, sure. When we talk about maternal, I'm sorry, <laughs> would you say it again and then explain it? <laughs> well, let me say it this way, Ron. Um, every 12 hours around the clock, a mom dies as a consequence of childbirth in this country. Uh, we are one of the few developed nations um, with, with this type of numbers. And that's why we call that maternal health crisis. So we, we have about 700 lives that are lost each year. But what's worse is that if you are a black woman, your likelihood of dying is about three to four times higher than a white woman. Wow. Similarly, when it comes to infants, um, our preterm birth rate, which is, you know, when you're born before that, uh, you know, magic time, mm -hmm. um, we have five years in a row when it's, the numbers are going up. They're so high right now is that one in 10 babies that has been born in the United States is born preterm. Mm -hmm. And once again, if you are a, a, a expecting mother that is African-American, your likelihood is 50% more of having a preterm birth child as opposed to um, a, a, a white mother. So there are some reasons that put us in as a very exclusive kind of ex exceptional situation in, in the United States. And that's why when we say our goal is to end some of this crisis, it's with a lens of equity because we know we can't make any progress unless we start to make progress in terms of the inequities that exist. Right. Lens of equity. I love that phrase. Now, do you attribute, I mean, we all know there's all kinds of limitations, inequalities in America. I mean, it's planet wide. It isn't just America, but Americans like to focus on freedoms and liberties and yet not everyone has it. I live in Arizona, uh, a state that has a large uh, Native American population. Uh, there are very few um, <laughs> Uh, well, you know, when you look at Australia, their indigenous people didn't fare well either. Uh, you know, you've got all kinds of, uh, of I guess, illustrations. We think of, of, of Black Americans, I guess that's one in five experiences a, a preterm pregnancy. Um, is there, I, I mean, how can we start? This problem is just about as huge as I can think of. Uh, it certainly is. And, and you know, it, it does affect Native American um, folks as well. It affects Latinx community. Mm -hmm. So it's a problem that we are seeing in communities all across. And there are some really good reasons that we can help eliminate. So one of the things we did was we created this report recently. We call it Maternity Care Desert Report, mm -hmm. just like food deserts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we looked at, okay, at the county level, where are these 
deserts that do not have an OBGYN, they do not have any hospital that's providing maternity care. And we found that almost half of the nation's counties, rural and urban, um, are areas where there's not sufficient care for people who become pregnant. Mm -hmm. So what does that really mean? That means that when you're living in an area and you don't have access to care, you're gonna have to drive somewhere. When you drive somewhere, then you're gonna have to take more time off from work, you're gonna have to find childcare. You're gonna have to arrange your day around to make that big trip. And then it's not inconceivable to think some people just decide to forego that oftentimes. And when you don't get good quality care to your, during your prenatal period, of course, you might miss your vaccinations or shots. You might miss the ability to get enough and right medications to control your blood pressure or diabetes or know what it's like to have healthy eating or exercise, all that advice. And, and so we end up having poor outcomes, um, you know, part in part. So there's all these challenges we have in this nation that we have the ability to do a lot more. And that's where we're, you know, why we're fighting for the health of all moms and babies. Yeah. Well, I'm so grateful for all that you do. It, it you know, it, it just seems such a tragedy in what we believe is the the richest nation on the planet. Um, there's a lot of our society, well, it, it, in a sense, one in 10 babies are preterm across the board. There's so much that we can do. I mean, we live in a time where medical technology just dwarfs any other time in our history. I, I'm usually on the negative side of this talking about cybercrime, but but when, when you talk about technology in, in medicine, oh my goodness, I, I, it's just a, an amazing time. And yet, in the nation that's the richest, uh, our citizens don't experience that wealth. Not all are. are. I mean, there's always the 1% we can talk about. But yeah, I mean, we bring this up because we believe deeply that, you know, the character of a nation is often judged by the way it treats its most vulnerable. Yes, sir. And that includes people who are pregnant, babies. Um, um, and that's why we're raising the flag because. This is, this is something that has been time tested and proven that, you know, we've got to start to make sure that people who get pregnant feel that they are part of a community. They're not discriminated against based on their race or their income or their background or their ability to access care uh, or their education. So these things are very fundamental um, and they're regardless of in some ways, income. In fact, you know, we've found some data where um, you typically think that if you have higher education, that's a protective factor against discrimination. It helps you get a better job. It helps you have a better life, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. But in terms of maternal health, we found that even if you had, you know, a higher level of degree, um, your race still matters in terms of poor outcome. Yeah. Um, so it's important. Um, we believe that you know the this crisis, particularly of maternal infant health crisis, is something we need to be addressing more urgently, and it's only worsened you know during the COVID pandemic. Yeah. How how do you start? What are what are you doing to to move us forward? Um, 
Oh, I think, Ron, that's a great question because one of the things we've done in the past um, recently, uh, you know, we were able to push for some good policies um, that would help us move this nation forward. So there's a lot of good pieces of sort of both on the groundwork in terms of service research as well as policy change. Um, we think uh, pretty strongly that one of the things that would help us uh, mm -hmm. as a nation is to make sure that there's clear access to care. And that goes back to, we know that about half of the moms across this nation are giving basically um, birth and have Medicaid. So what we wanna do is make sure that that access continues. And so expansion of Medicaid is one such mm -hmm. strategies that allows more and more moms to be able to get coverage and plan that pregnancy because about half of the pregnancies roughly in our nation are unplanned. Um, the other aspect is oftentimes uh, when you deliver about six weeks on Medicaid and you get kicked off of Medicaid. Now, think about it this way. If you have high blood pressure or diabetes or depression or substance use problem, it doesn't just magically disappear after six weeks. In fact, you're taking care of your baby and go through all the social pressures of being a new parent. You need it more than ever at that point. So we're really pushing for policies like extension of Medicaid to 12 months, at least after delivery postpartum so to make sure that those moms along with the baby is also taken care of because you know, it doesn't make sense for us to have a healthy baby and not have the mom alive with the baby right. or in good shape. So that's the, that's the whole reason we're pushing this. Wow. You know, when we think about the, the disparity among the races in America, it isn't just as we look at, at this, although that's a, huge, that's a huge part of it with maternal, uh, let me find my note here, maternal health crisis, but it's the disparity wounds our nation in many ways. And, you know, it isn't just America. Again, it's around the planet. But speak a, a little bit, if you would, about inequality in America, racial harm and disparity. Um, we're going to get back to, uh, to public health and COVID. But, but I know you've written some on this and you've, you've spoken about it. Um, I I think what is important for us to think about overall as a nation is, you know, I will use this pandemic as an example. What it has done is unveiled the inequities that already existed. Yes. So what do we see as a result? We see as a result, a lot more frontline workers, a lot more people of color who've gotten sick from COVID, who have unfortunately died from COVID and been hospitalized um, in, in generally. So it's important that we think about policies that help support folks where they are today. Um, you know, it's, it's unfair to expect, have a pandemic and expect, you know, people to choose between putting food on the table for their families and going out for a job and risk um, their health mm -hmm. and their life. So it's clearly important that we have to do what we can to ensure that 
Um, these what we call structural determinants of health or social determinants of health. What it really means is if someone's living in a community, their ability to live, learn, worship, you know, be raised, have the economic mobility, move forward, um, things like housing, things like transportation, simple things, food insecurity, these things become important. Um, and we wanna be able to give everybody the opportunity to excel. Um, oftentimes and too often, it doesn't happen for folks. Um, and those are the things that we think are critical. And you know, this maternal health and infant health is a part of that. Um, I think it's more of a reflection of what's happening in America in terms of where we are as a nation than an exception. I think you're right. I do see somewhat of a turning point. You know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember, um, and obviously I'm Caucasian, so, so I grew up in, in that, uh, those neighborhoods, I guess the way to say it. Um, the, the, the idea used to be that you worked in the same place and you gave everything you had to where you worked. I remember my grandmother, uh, we, were, uh, you know, we came up poor, I'm the first one to go to college. Um, I managed to get to a master's degree in education, but, uh, but I'm the first one in my family to, to accomplish any college uh, degree. Yeah. And, um, you know, my grandmother used to say when you're hired out to a man, I mean, country folks, that was, that was the, the lingo back then, you, uh, you do what he needs you to do. If, if you don't do what he tells you to do, then you're just stealing the money from him. You go somewhere else. That was the attitude. Yeah. Well, we don't think that way anymore. Companies owe us. I mean, we do owe them a, a decent day's work for a decent wage, but we don't owe them our lives. We don't owe them our families. We don't owe them our health. We don't owe um, you know, companies anything other than, than what they're paying us for, which is our skills and our abilities. Um, the, the time used to be, you know, I lived, uh, spent 25 years in, in uh, Indiana and the mills right up in Northwest Indiana, it was, it was just common knowledge. Some days guys are gonna get hurt. Um, and uh, you know, <laughs> if they didn't have a pension, I, when I think of all the things the way it used to be where you didn't have uh, healthcare and you didn't have disability and you didn't have all the, the, the protections we have today, you just, I guess, went home and starved, I don't know. It should never have been that way, but at least we've progressed from there to where we are now. But we've got so much further to go. Uh, we really do. I, I loved your quote at the beginning. A nation is known by the way it treats its most vulnerable. I, I've used that quote hundreds of times. Can't remember who said it originally, but it's an excellent point and it's true. Um, how do we keep moving down this road? I know a lot of it is government policies. Um, I know some of it is just helping organizations like March of Dimes that are leading the way here. Is there more that we can do? Absolutely, Ron. I think, I think your analogy is quite correct in the sense that, you know, my kids grew up in coal country and, and that, that applies there too. But, you know, we learned we're better than that. We have now learned that there's so much more we can do we, you know, as human beings, we have a right. We have a right to, um, you know, uh, be able to have safe workforce, work atmosphere. We have a right to make sure that we get um, the ability to contribute positively to society. 
So we're just not quote unquote workers, but we are participants in an American experiment mm -hmm. that has been far better than anywhere else in the world. And for that participants, we must be empowered. And some communities have not been able to be empowered um, basically. And it's important that we do our part. So one of the things that we often see and experience is, you know, if someone comes as an example to the front office, it's a real, real experience. And the person sitting in front office, you know, would look at the person and say, you know, honey, give me your driver license, check you in it and your Medicaid card. Some, a judgmental statement, simple as that, it kind of tells the other person based on what the, how they look, who they are, right? So we have learned to pass value judgments on people based on what they look like, who they are. And that's the part that we have to figure out how to get beyond that, how to learn, or rather I would say how to unlearn the learning. And it's gonna take a while, but I think the, the national reckoning is happening as we speak because we wanna be a better nation. We wanna be a nation that really um, does not discriminate, you know, uh, based on any other factors we've talked about. And it's that nation that allows itself then to be, again, the champion of human rights. Um, you know, no longer it is just the military might or no longer it is just the wealth. It has to be one that where it can only then stand up to other nations because you know, the situation that you mentioned, you work for the man and you, you know, those things are alive and well in other countries, many other countries. And for us to make sure that we have a more, you know, fairness and justice across the globe, we do have to start at home. And there's nothing wrong. There's nothing embarrassing about thinking that way. And, and I want us to think about that we shouldn't be embarrassed. We should be thinking, okay, how do we get better? How do we improve? How do we unlearn some things? How do we make sure that we are, we are training ourselves and our brains to not fall victims to these biases that already exist, to, be, to have biases to be human, first of all. So we shouldn't feel guilty, but what we should say to us, ourselves is we, should, we will stop judging people because you know, the way someone looks, the way someone talks, or the, the way someone dresses. Um, so that goes back to um, not just race, but it also goes back to backgrounds. It goes back to people's, um, you know, um, sexual orientation oftentimes is very important. Um, so it's important, you know, we often now, are, we, we say pregnant people because we recognize and respect the ability and, um, the, the, the technology we have now for, for a variety of people to become pregnant. Yeah. Well said, well said. I, you know, I, I can remember hearing the, the phrase, you can't judge a book by its cover. And then the, the response to that is, well, sure you can. Publishers spent tons of money uh, to, to tell you about the book on the cover. But we're not books. And some of us like to use, I'm a reader, I love to read. You see all these things behind me. But, but books tell stories. People have stories. They are stories. I, I, I think of in, in my job, my, my career, uh, social engineering is a problem. Um, 
judging a, a person by the way they look is the best way I know to get uh, conned. Uh, it's, it's often considered uh, an indicator that you can't trust someone if they won't hold eye contact with you. Well, what do you think con men do to start with? <laughs> they practice eye contact because they know that's a dead giveaway. You won't trust them. It, it's, it's getting beyond just the, the superficial presence of someone, their face, their color, uh, how they're dressed. I, I've known people, uh, we don't have time for it, but I've got story after story that just makes this point. Uh, you can't judge people just because of, of the way they look. There's more to us than the way we look. Uh, we, you know, I'm born with this guy here. He's a little bigger than I probably would have uh, chosen, but you know what? It's okay. It's just my nose. It doesn't matter. Um, we really have very little to do with some things, but we have everything to do with the way we respond, uh, the way we think about others. So I, I, I you know, I can have all kinds of things happen to me in life. The only thing I can do is respond. And that's the only thing I have any control over. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. And, you know, as a physician, I've often seen, you know, I, I've treated, um, let's say, kids oftentimes, sometimes they would have, you know, conditions like sickle cell anemia, for example, and, uh, and, and return back to, to, to the hospital, you know, let's say every month, if not for the better, unfortunately. And when these kids then, you know, go on to high school and college, to me, that's a win. That's a win. Um, they may not, you know, that child may not be looked upon um, in high school or college. The child might be looked upon as a quote unquote low performer, but the adversity and, and the difficulty that child has had to prevail just to stay alive, much less to go through painful episodes and, and go through all the medications and hospitalizations that I, as a physician and the family has endured, nobody can see that. So sometimes you're right that it's not just who we are, but it's the story behind us. And, and we all have oftentimes different struggles. So it's not fair to judge. Um, but you know, it goes back to, you mentioning that um, being the first in your family to go to college. I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have, um, a, a, you know, some way to see that more and more and more people are able to go to the college for the first time? Um, I think we would just have an amazing nation because we would know the value of education, um, and and at the same time, would have people in the workforce and leadership that look like the country, that look like the America. So that would be, that. that's exactly what I think we all strive for. I hope so. I believe you're right. I hope you're right. We're gonna take a, a quick pause so I can identify how you can reach us and who and what you're listening to. I'm Ron Bush. Um, I own Ron Bush Consulting and we're a cybersecurity consultancy. I hope you'll check us out on ronbushconsulting.com. We're coming to you in a variety of ways today. If you're listening to us on the radio, uh, you're probably either tuned in to WVLP, that's 103.1 on your FM dial, uh, or you may be streaming us, which I encourage you to do from anywhere on the planet at wvlp.org. 
you're catching us on WVLP on Monday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. That would be Central Time. Or you're catching us on Friday afternoons from 1 to 2 p.m. WVLP is an excellent community radio station. I hope you check out their website. And I also hope you get involved with them in giving back to the community. You can also find us on demand on any of the podcast platforms I'm familiar with, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, um, six or seven others, uh, or you can catch us on YouTube and the video side of things uh, on all under the information playground. Um, we come to you on a, on a regular basis. We're broadcast on uh, WVLP weekly, but you can f catch us on demand at any of the other outlets. Our special guest today is Dr. Raul Gupta. Um, he's the, I believe, executive director of the Arch of Dimes. I should have looked that up. I probably gave it wrong. Was Chief uh, Medical Officer, Medical and Science uh, Health Officer. Yeah. Thank you, sir. And, and Dr. Gupta, how can folks reach you if they have uh, questions or they want to get more involved with what we're talking about today? Marchofdimes.org, marchofdimes.org. Um, there's a place to send us messages as well as support us. We would uh, look forward to you checking it out, looking at all the resources, educational material that exists there. And if you have any great ideas as well, or otherwise just connect with us. There's so much work that we do in advocacy, grassroots support um, across the nation. We, we have a presence. So wherever you might be listening, uh, please know that uh, uh, we're here to support you um, and we would love to work with you. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you, sir. You've got a, had a great career in public health. Let's talk about that and, let, and let's get back to the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Uh, where are we first off in, in this pandemic? Where do you think we are? Are we, are we on the downside? Are we midway through? Or I think we should be cautiously optimistic. Uh, the way last, you know, couple of months have gone on. I think we, we, we're doing a pretty good job, the best one can do to get this terrible tragedy under control. Um, you know, we've got, we're getting very close to about 100 million vaccinations across. We have a lot more uh, embrace of the wearing of masks that I see across the nation. People are following recommendations to do social distancing and they're listening. Mm -hmm. So we knew what was going to work from, from the very beginning, you know, the, all these measures. And the math is still the same. The more people get the vaccine, the quicker, the more we continue to maintain social distance, avoid big gatherings and wear masks, the faster I think we can get to a place where we can be in the light. Now, that becomes important for a couple of reasons. First is a very simple one, which is we're just tired of it, right? It's been a year where people have been literally isolated, um, away from any socializing, away from their job, away from their grandchildren oftentimes and their families and friends. So that's the first reason that we've got to do it right, the right thing. The second reason is we have some scary mutations that are happening uh, to this virus. We believe right now the vaccine is good enough, but we it's a race against time. We've got to get more shots in the arm. 
before these mutations spread and become something else. So it's really important. And the third thing is that um, to avoid more shutdowns, to avoid more lockdowns, it's important we do this because only then can, you know, by July 4th, can we be out there and can we start to celebrate in a way we've probably not done in a while to get with the families and, or at least we've done it, but we haven't recognized the importance of being with families uh, on the 4th. Um, and also demonstrate as an example to the rest of the world that, that America is still can, can be in front because we haven't always been in front during this pandemic um, in terms of the pandemic. So it's an opportunity for us to lead again. Um, so for these three reasons, I think it's very important that we do what we're supposed to do right now, come, come home and start unifying as a nation to do, uh, to, you know, to, to do our own duty, our individual duty in order to help move us forward. Excellent, excellent. You know, it, it, I, I understand, you know, there's always going to be people, my grandmother used to have, I don't know where, why I'm getting so home spun today, but uh, my grandmother used to have a saying about people that wouldn't be happy in any situation. She would say they'd complain if they were hung with a new rope. Well, um, you know, uh, <laughs> I, that's kind of like let them eat cake or, or have your cake and eat it too, I guess is the old saying. Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense till you really think it through. Her point was that some people just won't go along with the program no matter what. They complain about the businesses being shut down. And yet if everyone had made a concerted effort in the beginning to wear the mask, do the hygiene, and I, I'm really disappointed and have been for years. I've noticed that Americans don't use the hygiene. We used to do better. You know, they, they used to, um, they probably still do teach us in school. I don't have any little children in school, so I don't know, but I'm assuming they still do. Uh, teach general hygiene, the importance of washing your hands and using soap and doing off doing so often. We don't do that anymore. Uh, I can't tell you how many restaurants I've walked out on over the years when I go into the men's room and there was no soap in that dispenser or no towels. I knew the guys in the kitchen weren't washing their hands and I don't want them fixing my food when they're not. So as a nation, we've just gotten away from things that are good for us. If we had just taken the, the, the initiative in the beginning, we could have been so much further down the road. We're not. But that doesn't mean we can't turn around and do so now. Yeah. Uh, practice the, the social distancing, whether it's three or six feet, I, you know, that's for other people to debate. I, I'm happy with any distance. The mask is the important thing and the hygiene, the personal hygiene is the important thing. Uh, it, You're right, Ron. It's interesting you talk about, you know, our kids washing hands, you know, we're in 21st century where if you ask a kid today, where does, you know, carrots and peas come from, they say the refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it is, it is a little bit different a time, but you know, there was a time that you, you might remember uh, that people lined up for the polio vaccine all across the street, uh, you, know, uh, you know, so many hundreds of meters, if not miles to get the shot. Mm -hmm. there, was, there was a little bit of, you know, hesitation then. There's always gonna be a little bit of hesitation it's important to recognize the hesitation, especially when it comes to vaccine, because people are putting a, a, you know, something that's artificially made in their body. But at the same time, 
look for the facts. I always say, check out the facts and don't listen to the coats of people. Go to the source information because you know, I believe we have to earn the trust of the people we're serving. And, and that's why they need to do the homework as well and get the facts. And the facts are right now that we have quite effective three vaccines available. There's, a, there's and after 80 plus million Americans getting the shots, they have had a remarkable safety record so far. Yes. Um, they are um, obviously, I got it, second shot uh, for the Moderna and Pfizer. You could potentially get a little bit of flu-like syndrome. You could get a little bit of sore arm, um, but the, vir the, the vaccine does not have any virus in it, live virus in it. People have to know that. It's actually having a little symptoms is okay because it tells you the shot's working. Um, so it's important to know the facts, know that we are fortunate to have such an effective vaccine that, it, that, that, that are available now. But we also have to do our part if we wanna get out there and be able to get back to normal as early as we want. And our part, our patriotic duty now is to get the vaccine, make sure we are able to protect ourselves, our loved ones, our family members, our workplace. Um, and it's gonna become important as time goes on. The quicker we can get back to normal, I think it's better for both the, our mental health, physical health, and economic health yes. uh, of the nation. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's important. Uh, we will always, we can always disagree on things, but let's not disagree where there's really no reason to disagree. Right. Not, not disagree just to be disagreeable, which I think is unfortunately where some are. We, we used to be able to disagree more agreeably than we do nowadays. Well, we never disagreed on common sense. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. That's right. And it is common sense. Yes, indeed. Do these things. Yeah. Where, where should we be going now from a public health standpoint? Where do you take us where you believe we're at and, and where we should go? So we took an approach of just us initially, and then we became more, we're gonna be a leader in the world now. And we're a precipice of that decision now. We have the opportunity to utilize this pandemic to understand and learn the lessons. We have tremendous lessons. I mean, a hundred years ago plus, we had you know this the, the influenza pandemic. And now we have this. We know and we suspect that it's not a question of if, it's a question of when the next one will come. Mm -hmm. So it's only smart for us to, as we are recovering and we are a resilient people, that we also begin to plan and prepare for the next threat. Uh, that involves making sure on one hand, we start to invest in our public health infrastructure. Our infrastructure, just like roads, and rail and other aspects and water systems, public health infrastructure has also not been invested in. In fact, we've taken money out of it uh, for, for quite a long time. And it's time for us to think about that, try to figure out, well, if we needed to do tracing and tracking and, and, and testing, what kind of folks we need, what kind of resources we need, what kind of uh, training we need. So I think it's a great time for the young uh, students to go into public health, get learned, and get into this as a profession. 
We also need to think about how do we prepare a workforce that is both trained in whatever they're doing, but also in response to a threat like this. This is a great wake up call, I think, for our country. Uh, unfortunately, we've had too many people lost to it, but it's still something we should wake up and, and understand that uh, we should prepare, whether it's our business, our home, um, you know, place of worship, place of work, we should be working and doing our individual bit to prepare for it. Um, the last piece I would say is this, as I said initially that this pandemic really unveiled the inequities, uh, social and structural that exist underneath in our communities. We've been alone too long, quarantined or isolated. I think we've gotten up, understood there's the human need to be together. But as we start to open up, hopefully, that we will also understand that there were those amongst us, really heroes who worked through it. Some of them got infections, some of them died. And we have to ensure that we are more gracious and more giving community as a result of this pandemic. And those who can afford do more for their community, for their society, to make sure that um, the next time something like this or anything close to it happens, you know, we have everyone that's willing to chip in and, and do their part. So the loneliness, the separation, the mental health, the physical health aspects, I think have also taught us that at the end of the day, we are a community. We, we, we survive and we thrive because we're better than a single person by ourselves. Well said. I, you know, I think about, I've got so many different thoughts coming at me, it's hard to know which to choose. I think of, of, uh, of the times that we've been our greatest, uh, when we've uh, sought to, to free other countries. And I'm thinking of World War I and World War II. We were, we were late to the, to the battles, and yet we, we pulled together as a nation and uh, recognized where disparities were and, and sought to, to, uh, to heal those, sought to bring every, everyone together. This seems like very much a similar situation. There is a, a war. It's with a virus that we don't fully understand. Um, we're a lot further down the road than we were a year ago, but, but this is all new to us. There's also, yeah. go ahead. No, I think, I think we learned something, which is, you know, we're not, we're not gonna be militar, militaristically defeat the smallest of the organisms, right? So we know that there is a value to what they're now calling vaccine diplomacy. Um, you know, once we have a certain threshold of Americans, and we certainly have a lot of volume of vaccine that we've purchased, mm -hmm. um, it's going to be very important for America to show its leadership in, on, uh, you know, on the global front and advocate to make sure that those disparities and inequities in vaccine distributions are addressed, advocate that as much of the um, global population as quickly as po possible gets the vaccine. We may have to call on Rotarians as an example to, to make sure that this, is, this work is done because our work is not ending. We know that you know, there will be some countries that may not get the vaccine until 2023. 
So uh, it's going to be very important for us to work as a catalyst once again as a global leader and help uh, the global community out and take that leadership space now, just like we've done in the past, right? Well said, well said. Uh, Rotary, since they've come up a couple of times, I'll put a little plug in for them. They've been fighting polio, as you know, for the last 20, 21 years now. Continuously, Pakistan and uh, I believe Syria always show up as the last two countries. Occasionally, some other country will, will show up with one or two cases. But for the most part, it's been eradicated worldwide, except for those two countries. And I think war uh, has been the, the biggest problem there. They just won't let us in to, to immunize people. With, with COVID-19, I know we've promised some shots, uh, and I, I've forgotten the number, to Mexico, our neighbor to the south. But there's so many other countries, as you say, that, that are not on the list to get. Maybe they're poor countries and they can't afford to, to do it. Or their governments are corrupt. That doesn't mean the people have to suffer uh, simply because they can't, uh, <laughs> they can't overcome the government uh, and their corruption. We need, if we're going to, to claim leadership, we need to be leaders and, yeah. we, and we need to help. Yeah, and, and you know, going back to the polio example, I think what we should learn is that uh, any conflict, any destabilizing sort of situations push back public health efforts. That's just a matter of fact, because um, when um, a, a particular area or government or, or other aspects are happening, which is destabilizing in nature, uh, we have right now things happening in Myanmar, for example. Mm -hmm. um, vaccination doesn't become the priority at the time, as we understand that. Uh, so it's important for us to be a leader to see how we can get the vaccine despite those situations into the, into the nations. And that's where leadership is going to be critical. Um, you know, I was uh, just uh, January last year, I was uh, at the, one of the Rotarian meetings in Calcutta. And, uh, uh, and, and we were, you know, looking at what things could be done next. This was pre-pandemic, but um, the ability to address, you know, social inequities, whether it's water, whether it's shelter, whether it's food, as a way to help communities across the globe. And I also had an opportunity to go visit Mother Teresa's home, mm. um, one of the most unique and enlightening experiences of my life. Um, so th these are things that are going to be important for all of us, not just governments, but for individuals and citizens, global citizens to act upon and contribute to improving. Well said. I envy you uh, being in Calcutta and visiting Mother Teresa's home. She's an individual I've admired for years. We're, we're getting down to, uh, to the last few minutes here. Um, we've talked about COVID impacts on our society. We've talked about racial inequity, uh, public health guidance. We, we've covered a lot of ground here, but I'd like, to, I'd like to ask you, are there things that are on your heart, things I should have asked and I just didn't think of them, uh, things that you'd, points that you'd like to get across? I think one of the factors we're gonna be dealing with is obviously the long-term impact of COVID. Um, so we always have to look ourselves ahead, six months, year ahead, and then multiple years ahead. So there are going to be things that are immediately important now. There are going to be things in the intermediate and long term. Uh, 
And I think we can very easily see what's in front of us. But beyond that, we still have to look at the challenges and the crises that were there pre-COVID. That are still there. So whether it's the maternal infant health crisis that you know, got exacerbated, pregnancy being a high-risk condition for COVID, whether it's the substance use disorder crisis that worsened because of multiple factors, including shutdown treatment facilities um, and, and disrupted networks and um, you know, just the evolution of the crisis itself that we've seen it worsening. Or it's the uh, you know, the fundamental issues of, um, you know, obesity. We know that obesity, as an example, may be playing a greater role in um, poor outcomes for COVID than we have perhaps recognized already. So this data will come out, but we have to make sure in sort of in the future, beyond the short term, that we have a healthy population. Um, and we do what we can to make sure that Americans are um, in the best health possible because we know that whether it's the weight, whether it's the blood pressure, heart disease, cancer, these things not only pose individual risks because of the diseases, but they also pose disproportionate increasing risk because of comorbidities, they call high risk things, so issues. So whenever a pandemic or an epidemic strikes, then people who are suffering from these challenges fare off worse because of the pre-existing conditions. So those things are important to address, but also at the same time, we have to make sure we have access to good quality, high quality healthcare. So that becomes really important, more important in post-COVID era than it was even during pre-COVID times. You know, I, I recall uh, oh, maybe a, a decade ago when, um, uh, electronic medical records became uh, mandated, actually, mm -hmm. uh, and and when um, when when that happened, when when the healthcare community was forced to go into uh, um, special software, convert all their paper records and everything to to uh, software, a lot of a lot of physicians chose that point in time to uh, sell their practices, many to retire if they were able to do that. And so we experienced a shortage of doctors. I'm, I don't know how acute that is today, but I know it got really serious there for a while. It, it, I think we've gotten past that. I, I know that, that uh, hospitals bought up a lot of practices, but I, there's so much on the education there's two things. There's there's the shortage of doctors and and replenishing the field. The nurses. There's been a nursing shortage for years, um, so all of that lies at the doorstep of education. But so does our our population understanding the needs and promoting that. Um, you know, yeah. there's so much that in popular culture. I'm reminded of uh, Peter Drucker's uh, uh, quote all the time that culture eats strategy for breakfast. We can strategize all day long, but we've got to, to change people's behavior and thought patterns up to a point. And I don't mean that in a malicious way. I mean that in you know, eating healthy, that's a, that's a choice. And it's a good choice to choose to eat healthy rather than the fatty stuff that uh, is over salted and processed. Uh, not uh, alcohol consumption or drug consumption. Uh, those are choices. Yeah. Absolutely right. 
Absolutely right, Ron. And 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 the what we can do as a collective society, we can make the healthy choices the right choice or the good choice. And that's where the magic comes in. Um, if I have an urge to eat unhealthy or healthy, but there's an incentive for me to eat healthy, that's the way what we can do to start moving in that direction. Right. So for that, we need to move as a community together. So you're right about, you know, the EHR part. Similarly, you know, we have a, a technology world that now, of course, in the cyberspace, especially as you um, specialize in there, but there's an entire, we have to be thinking what is next in terms of tech. So whether it's uh, self-driving cars or whether it's, you know, other ways of um, making life a little easier, it also means that there will be people who will need to be retrained, reskilled, and, and re-employed in other areas. Because if not, then the hopelessness sets in. And that leads to exacerbation and worsening of, you know, the, uh, the addiction crisis, substance use disorder crisis. So it's very important. We're at the cusp of understanding and reacting to what is the 21st century data, science, tech world look like. And there are consequences for each and every one of us and it, it, you know it's going to be important in this century or in this decade actually i would say for us to get it right and understand where our vulnerabilities lie but also why it's important to have human resources the most important capital we have yes. in this nation across the world but we have to make sure we maximize the best use of it and that doesn't mean always um that we're working 80 hour weeks right um well let's not uh, I'm uncomfortable now. We've entered an area that's uh, hard for me. So I appreciate your uh, I appreciate your bringing us there. But uh, you know, we're almost out of time, Dr. Gupta. So uh, no, I, I uh, you're right. You're exactly right. Um, I think of our you know issues like the opioid crisis. It's an epidemic. Um, there's so much behavior that is promoted in popular culture. Um, you know, when I was a boy, I remember watching the old Laurel and Hardy shorts and the Abbott and Costello and the, and the popular comedy bits were people drunk and falling down. And, and, and we got past that for a while. We discovered that cigarettes were bad for us. So we banned uh, advertising of cigarette companies on television. They used to be the, the prime sponsors, the prime advertisers on television. And it seems like we've, we've come back to that now. Movies and I don't watch enough movies to know them, but you know, the hangover comes to mind. Um, although there isn't uh, advertising of cigarettes on television, it's in most of the, the shows, uh, or it's in many of the shows, especially the cable shows and most of the movies, the few that I do see. Um, we, need to, we need to get back to that education and that, and that observation that we don't do things that are bad for us. We do things that are good for us. Exactly, and, and one of the ways to do that is to making good choices cool, making it the standard. Because you know when we talk about our young population, uh, it's all about fad, it's all about what's next. So there is, you know, we have a, a population that's developing pretty much on the screen today. And the consequences of which we don't, we aren't even fully understanding of. So it's very important, uh, some of it's gonna have to be uh, intentional, where we can expose our younger generation 
um, to outside, <laughs> you know, to beyond the screen that there is a world. And so very basic going, going back to the basics in so many ways, but also I think addressing and understanding the threats that might be upcoming up front, but making it cool to do that. So um, I, I think that I remain a lot optimistic that there are ways once, because once we get our mind to it, like we did with tobacco and other areas, we are able to make very significant progress. Uh, and one of the things we learned out of it is for, especially for youth and children, it's making it the easy choice, the fun choice, the cool choice, mm -hmm. the right choice. Excellent. Well, that's it. That's an excellent point and it's an excellent point to, to end the, the program on. I wanna thank you for being on. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and introduce you to our uh, Information Playground audience. Um, uh, I'll give you the last word in a moment. Let me just do a last uh, identification of how folks can find us. I'm Ron Bush. You can find me at ronbushconsulting.com. Uh, send me an email, ron at ronbushconsulting.com. I do like to keep things simple where I can. Um, you, can uh, you can catch us on Monday mornings from 8 to 9 and Friday afternoons from 1 to 2 on WVLP. That's WVLP. LP.org. If you uh, stream us or go to the website, uh, it's 103.1 FM. If you're fortunate and live in Al uh, Valparaiso, Indiana, you can catch us on most of the podcast platforms as well as YouTube under The Information Playground. Dr. Gupta, uh, it's been a joy with you today. How can folks reach out to you? How can they, how can they contact you? Well, the uh marchofdimes.org or marchofdimes.org is the best way to visit us, meet with us, learn what we do and support us. Uh, we love to hear from you. Uh, we hope that uh, you have uh, enjoyed our discussion today. And Ron, I thank you uh, for your indulgence in discussing some of the most compelling and important issues that relate to public health across the nation. Been my pleasure and privilege, doctor. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone.